you know, the world would be easier if everything just behaved as it should, right? If everything uh, went as planned. And uh, this morning I was trying to hit print a few times and my computer did not want to print. Uh, spent 20 minutes on the restart and it would not reload. It just kept thinking and thinking and thinking. Uh, so if you're wondering why my phone's out more today, uh, that's my printed device for the day. Um, and I think it would be easier to walk in spiritual life if uh, everything just went according to plan. If everybody treated us right, everybody said the right things, everybody did the right stuff, I think spiritual life would seem so much easier. But life doesn't go as planned. And so we've been talking about how do you love your neighbor in a divided world? Because uh, for one, the world's never been super unified. It's always been challenging to figure out how do I love my neighbor? Because when it comes down to it, things are going to rub against me the wrong way. Things aren't going to sit right with me. And I'm going to have to figure out how to love even when it's not easy. And so we've been talking about how God calls us to love, how God calls us to be open, to have tender hearts, to be vulnerable to one another, but but loving in a harmful, divided world. And so today we're going to look at some specific practices, some specific ways to love your neighbor. Because what gets hard is not assenting to the right idea of, oh yes, I know I should love my neighbor, but actually doing it, actually living that out, and what that looks like in the world. And so we're going to read a text from Leviticus, and I'm going to just go ahead and read that text to you now. Leviticus chapter 19. These are a bunch of laws and commands for the people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your Lord God. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revel the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall feel, fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against anyone of your people, but you shall love the Lord your you shall love your Lord, yes, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. I'm going to skip down verse thirty three. When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Word of the Lord. Now, you might be like me. I'm, I'm not as familiar or used to just reading the book of Leviticus in church. I don't know. If you, if you try to think back to how often Leviticus comes up, it probably doesn't come up 
very often. And there might be some reasons for that of like, there's some laws we left out as we read through that, because we focused on the laws about neighbors, especially, uh, that especially spoke to and addressed, hey, here's how you love your neighbor. Here's how you would address the alien among you. Um, but there's some other rules in that that we skipped over, things like um, things about kinds of clothing materials that things are made from, or or other kinds of things that might not feel as common, or things about sex with slaves. Again, that's not quite what you're usually used to talking about. So there's some oddities in the text. Um, and when it comes to reading through the biblical laws, as Christians, we read those through the lens of Jesus. We're like, okay, which of these laws do I most easily see Jesus living out and working and I might take as a cue that this law might still have something meaningful to say to this present moment. Because if you remember, the early church had to struggle through, what do we do with the law? Peter thought he was being really great because he kept telling God no, because God had this vision for Peter that he could eat anything. And I think most of us are like, oh, thank goodness. Uh, I, I want to eat those things too. But Peter's like, I'm a good uh, person. I've grown up. I've known these laws. I'm not going to eat that. I'm being good. I'm saying no, God, no temptation. And God has to tell him three times, hey, I mean it. So, okay, fine. Uh, and the early church struggled with, okay, when we make new Christians, do we have to give them the whole law? And this is what Paul's constantly fighting with people about because everyone's kind of coming behind him and saying, all right, but to be a Christian, you need to do this, 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 and that. And so there's a lot of struggle with which of these things do we feel like speaks still to our age that we should live by. But I think all of the things that we heard today are things that have meaningful, uh, positive, uh, encouraging inspiration for us of how we could live and how we could love our neighbors and benefit to one another. One thing I want to name up front is these texts were read as the community rule. So it's like a tribal law of like, okay, we do these things. If you don't do these things, there's going to be some major punishments and consequences. And so these kinds of laws became the laws of the land. It became national laws. It become, oh, you violated statute, this, this, and that, you know. Uh, and so that's a little bit of a different context than what the church is going to read things in. Um, because it's people choosing to live by this kind of code, live by these kinds of rules and guidelines as opposed to enforcing them on each other. But let's, let's talk about what this text says. Now, you heard a lot of what you shouldn't do in that text. I'm going to reframe these things into positive, uh, positive commands. So instead of don't do this, I'm going to say, here's what we should maybe be about. First thing, be generous. In verses 9 and 10, Leviticus says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. I'll pause there. So if you can imagine, you're, you're harvesting your land. You've got a bunch of crops growing, and you're getting all of that produce. You're getting it all together. And it's saying, leave some edges behind. Don't get 100% yield. Because if you take everything, what will the person who has no land, the person who has no produce, what might they eat? And so it's saying, just leave some things behind so that those who are in need might come and they might find something. And so it's not just don't 
harvest the edges of your field, but when you take the grapes off of the vine and some fall to the ground, don't gather every single last thing. Leave some. It's fine. There might be somebody walking along who needs something. And if you get 100% of everything that you've grown, what will be left for others who might need it? And this text is really meaningful, and especially if you read the book of Ruth ever in the Bible, it's a great story about uh, some widows who are living this kind of rule out. They have nothing, their spouses have died, their family is, has died, and they're, they're looking to survive, and they find a field, and they find someone who will, is willing to take them in, and they're able to do some work, they're able to uh, survive, in part because of the generosity of these kinds of rules. But chances are most of us in the room aren't act like there are some farmers, but not all of us are farmers, right? We don't all have our own fields. Maybe you have a, like some tomato plants or something. You might have a, like a small little garden. You're like, okay, I'm going to portion out a little bit of my garden and I'm going to give that away to some people. And sometimes that's because, you know, I can't eat all of this before it goes bad. <laughs> so I'm going to figure out how to get rid of it because I know it's going to just spoil if I try to hold on to it. But not all of us have gardens, not all of us have fields. So what is it to leave the corners of your paycheck behind? Right, because it, it's a different economic society that we live in. But if we go all the way to 100% of every bit of money that we have to use, we leave nothing behind to support those who might need something. And one of the things that I love is we have the corners of our harvest outside of our building. Uh, the blessing box is a little bit of that moment. Uh, it's been wonderfully stocked for several years now. Some from people within our own church community. Some from the broader community. And that's been one of the fun things to see is just people from the neighborhood who just come by and put stuff in that blessing box. That Whoever walks by, you can take as you need. You can put stuff in there as you need. So that someone who might be wandering by who needs a little something might find something. And so it's maybe when you go to the grocery store and you're like, you know what, this might be something that somebody would enjoy who might be hungry, who might, or maybe as the weather gets cold, you're like, oh, some gloves or some socks, there might be some things that people might want. And it's like, instead of taking everything that I own and using it just for myself, how do I make sure to clear some space to be supportive and generous to those around me? And it's not about what's fair or right or yours. It's just about people deserve to be able to eat. People deserve to be able to have um, their dignity. And so how can we practice being generous? How do we practice leaving a portion of things for somebody else? And so that's the first thing Leviticus calls us to. If you want to love your neighbor, be generous to your neighbor. If you want to love your neighbor, you need to be truthful to your neighbor. Uh, that is important because if we start lying, if we're untruthful, society falls apart. It says in the text, uh, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear falsely. Um, when I think about today's culture, we all have more of a platform to speak than we've ever had before. Every single person can go create their own social media account. You can create bunches of social media accounts. I think this year the average 
18 to 65-year-old who has the internet, which I think is 97% um, in the US, the average adult had almost seven social media accounts. It adds up fast because things like YouTube and some other things that you might not always think about as being social media um, are. But you have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and all sorts of things, right? Uh, Twitch, Discord. We all have the ability to speak out loud in ways that uh, affect our reputations. Right? The things that you post, you might notice suddenly people have unfriended you or unfollowed you, or maybe they've muted you and you have no clue. But the way that you post affects people around you. You can use your words to lift people up, to celebrate people, to thank people, to show gratitude, to like make someone's day. Because like, if you just see somebody like posted about you and just celebrated you, wouldn't you feel great? You're like, wow, they were thinking about me. That's that's. That's so nice, which is a whole lot better than the passive-aggressive, I think they were talking about me. Oh no, I think this post is about me. And for so many people, there's a temptation in this world because we are inundated with news stories and headlines and, and all sorts of things unlike anybody else ever. And you can reshare those things without ever looking at them. You can reshare them without ever checking if they're true or not. And if you share enough things that are not true, people will not trust you anymore. That's one outcome. Or they'll keep trusting you and you will keep increasing misinformation. Both of those outcomes are negative. But what if we loved our neighbors by caring about truthfulness? That when I speak, when I talk, I want people to trust me that I am at least doing my best to make sure that I'm speaking truthfully, I'm not misleading you. So if you want to love your neighbor, be truthful. If you want to love your neighbor, be kind. This text has a really interesting image. It says, You shall not revel the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. Reveling is kind of out loud mocking somebody. So if you can imagine, if someone's deaf, and you're trying to take advantage of the fact that they can't hear you, and you're making fun of them in a way that they can't even notice. Or if they're blind, and you're putting stuff in front of them to trip them, to hurt them. Like, that's just cruel. And there's a lot of cruelty in the world today. There's a lot of times where people uh, could just be silent at certain points, but instead choose those moments to hurt, to find whatever wounds exist in someone, and just poke it a little bit more. And so what is it to be kind to people instead of increasing their pain? Uh, online, there's, I don't know, you take it serious or you don't. Uh, you probably don't care about it until it's you. Uh, but there's all sorts of ways that people really like to poke people online. Uh, probably one of the worst things is to become a meme yourself. You've done something visibly uh, humorous, things have failed on your part, and then you've become the image of this failure online. Uh, for most people, we don't have to endure that. Um, but if you think about it, like there, those people in memes of, um, you know, whether it's they've fallen down, they've they've been hurt, they've cried. Like Michael Jordan, you can be the greatest of all time in basketball, maybe, and and yet it's like you're crying becomes the meme that everybody uses. There's just something about us that wants to be cruel to one another, and so 
people want to hate on each other. Um, now it's popular to just do a real quick abbreviation, and if you have your name with an L next to it, uh, that you took a loss, and just people's easy way of saying uh, that you failed at something. And um, the jargon for even, I think, worse than that right now, it's, again, uh, depends on how much you care about these things. But if you want to know the social media jargon for even worse than taking an L, is to be mid. And be, to be mid is just to not matter. You're not hot or cold. You're not great or awful. You're just a nobody. You're not worth commenting on. And there's so many of us on, in our daily lives who struggle with insecurity, who struggle with, do I matter? And if you're struggling with insecurity, you're going to push that on to other people often. You're going to try to make them feel insecure. You're going to try to make them feel less than. But what if we were people who loved our neighbors by trying to just be kind? That that's the characterization of, like, who are you? You're someone who treats people with kindness. And that's one of the things I've loved from our community around the cafe. Um, spoiler alert, this is one of our cafe merchandise uh, that we started selling. Uh, treat everyone with dignity. Um, we, I heard a, a guest telling a first-time guest about a month or so ago. Um, the guest had never been to the cafe. And they're like, hey, what is this place? And one of the guests told the other guest, oh, you'll love it. They treat everyone with respect. And that's such a beautiful summary, summary of anybody, of anything, of any group, that you treat people with respect, with kindness, with dignity, that people are treated the way that they deserve to be treated. And so be kind if you want to love your neighbor. The text also invites us to be fair. It's easy to want to play favorites in life. But the text says, you shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or, or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. Um, in life, it's easy when you have relationships built up that you're like, okay, i got to take your side in this no matter what. Right? I, I'm in your camp against the world. But all it does is it creates our divide even further, right? If we're unwilling to to question our own, our own community, our own groups, um, to see our own flaws, and we just entrench ourselves and say, okay, as long as you have the right political party name next to your name, you're in the right. And if you have a different political party next to your name, you're always in the wrong. And that's my easy shorthand. I never have to think any again, you know? But what is it to, to render fair judgment? And I'm actually going to Think about who is being justice, who is following justice, who is being right, who is being fair. And so in our lives, we would be all so much better if our loving our neighbors looked like being fair to one another. What's something else we can do to love each other and love our neighbors? We can be forgiving. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against anyone, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is so hard to love your neighbor if you're constantly carrying that grudge against them with you. This is one of the hardest ones to get through. 
Because if you felt like you've been wronged, if you felt like you've been hurt, it is very hard to let healing ever happen because we want to just hold that pain. Because we want to tell ourselves that that moment mattered and it did. But it doesn't have to matter only because I'm going to hold the pain of it forever. You can transform it. You can allow God to, to use it to, to bring healing and then to go minister to people who've had that pain, who go share about it. You don't have to carry the resentment and that anger, that frustration with you. All it's doing is eating you more and more and more. And as it eats at you, your capacity to be kind, to be generous, to be fair, to be truthful is just going to be deteriorating and deteriorating. So if you want to love your neighbor, you have to learn how to forgive. And in our culture, that's really challenging. Um, usually it's like headline people of um, someone makes a mistake, and it's often a very bad mistake. But we know how to cancel people. We don't really know how to like reacclimate them back into society or life at some point. They don't have to have the same platforms, the same power, same money, or whatever it is. But like, we don't know what restoration looks like. And we struggle with that. And so one of the things for us is in your daily life, you don't have to solve the tabloids problems, but in your life, someone who's messed up, and that messed up uh, decision affects family gatherings or school reunions or, or whatever it is, you might ask yourself, what does forgiveness look like? How do I figure out a way to, to restore my neighbor in time, not just to hold that anger and pain forever? How do I be forgiving? And lastly, if you want to love your neighbor, you have to be welcoming. You can't just be like, well, these are my neighbors and I'm never going to look outside again to see who might be new neighbors. I like these neighbors and I'm not going to realize who's moved down the street to me. The text says, when an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I love that this text doesn't just kind of stay only with the neighbor language. It pushes it further. Like, we don't usually use the word alien quite this way anymore, but the stranger, the foreigner, the person who, who you don't think belongs, perhaps, Whoever that might be, that you're not being, uh, giving them cold shoulder, you're not going to ignore them, but you treat them like everybody else. You treat them as one of you, that they are to you as a citizen among you. It is not easy for people to do that all the time. Uh, I've heard plenty of people who've voiced frustrations about signs being multi in multi-languages. People, why, why can't people just learn my language? But what if the person who shows up who doesn't speak your language isn't an alien to you, but is as a citizen, as one of you? It's hard to live out that every person is an insider because we all naturally start pushing out certain people and pulling in others. What is it to say, everybody I come into contact with I need to act like they're one of my clan. They're one of my tribe. They're one of my group. We're all insiders together. 
And that's one of the things that I love, again, about our cafe on Wednesday nights. I always enjoy that um, I think in the last few weeks we've had six, seven new volunteers, like first-time volunteers. And one of them was very sweet. They were telling me um, about their experience after the cafe, I think two weeks ago. And they minister at another church in the area. And they're like, I just want to tell you, I was so grateful that all the volunteers were so welcoming. She's like, it's not always like that. Sometimes you come into a place and you're like, oh, how do I ever belong? How do I fit in? How do I feel like I'm a part of it? But that, that's a beautiful thing. When you ever see that, when people live that way where everybody belongs, everybody's invited, foster that. Don't take it for granted. Use that as the opportunity for you to work on your own way of extending that invite, extending that welcomeness to the next person. And so I don't know who in your life might feel like the outsider, who, who you might notice, like, oh, I, I don't know if they feel like they belong. But it's on us to be people who go and extend that welcome, that invitation to treat people like they are insiders. Now, one thing that you might be tempted with in this world is, okay, we have all these rules of, like, what is it to be a good Christian? If I do these things, okay, then the world's better. Well, let's just institute that these are the rules for everybody. Let's force this on everybody. If we can just get enough politicians to make this the law, then of course the world will be better. Because of course everyone will follow it, of course. Uh, and you know, I don't happen to struggle with it myself. If everybody else can do it, uh, of course it'll all work out. Um, but it doesn't always work that way. And in fact, if you know anything about religious orders, there's a lot of like monks in the world, people who have like, They've given up their regular life. They've gone into a certain religious community and they want to live a certain way of life that is kind of especially focused on their spiritual development. Those traditions grew out of times where Christianity was the dominant power of the world. What happened was the early church was being persecuted and you were just struggling to survive. But then the church got some power and some prominence and the empire's backing. And people wanted to know, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? And suddenly, once it became influential to be a Christian, everyone thought that Christianity got watered down a bit. It's like, okay, well, now if it's an advantage to be a Christian, how do I know if I'm living my life correctly? And so strangely enough, especially in the Roman Empire, when Christianity was able to create laws that supported itself, they felt like Christianity was falling apart. You would imagine that, like, okay, if we could make the rules be like us, it was going to help everybody. But instead, it had the opposite effect. And so what you had was a bunch of people running out into the wilderness and running out into the desert, trying to figure out, how do I find God in this God-forsaken land? Which is so weirdly ironic that they now have power, that Christianity is dominant. But you had all these people who said, I want to follow God. I want to be faithful myself. How do I get that moment? How do I get that feeling? How do I live this out rightly? And so you had people living individually in the wilderness. But then you had people running out to meet these people, like, hey, how are you doing this? And you're like, I was trying to be alone, thank you. Some people are standing on columns. They're just standing on one thing for like months at a time. It's, it, they were very aesthetic. They were very committed. And they really wanted their space, and people kept showing up, saying, how do you do this? And so these people had to start making communities of how to do this. 
because people were longing for it, of like, I want to experience this for myself. How do I do it? And what the people realize is, I can't do this spiritual life on my own. I might want to be alone, but if we're going to make any meaningful impact on the world, we got to do this together. And so they started coming together and start figuring out rules for themselves. Okay, here's how our community lives out faithfully together. So my invitation to us is there's no federal law coming on to you about how to love your neighbor. There's no religious law from our church community of like, you must do this one thing today. But maybe you can spend today, spend this evening, spend this week, and develop a few principles for yourself of writing your own rule of faith, of what it means to me to love my neighbor is this. And so if you're thinking about what does it mean to be generous to your neighbor, think about for you, one concrete thing, I want to do this to be generous to my neighbors. If you want to think one concrete thing, how do I be truthful to my neighbors? So what's the one thing I will commit to to be truthful, to love my neighbors, to be kind? What's the one concrete thing? When, when somebody messes up, I will respond like this. I'm not going to pile on on them. I'm going to say, you're fine. Let me help you. you know, what's the one thing you're going to do to be kind? What's the one thing you're going to do to be fair when it's not easy? Because the people that you think that think that you're on you're in real close together and they're you're always got their back. How are you going to be willing to say I'm going to be fair and not play favorites? The hard one. You might just need to pick one person in your life to work on the forgiveness part for. Of who's this? Who's the one person I need to work to forgive today? And lastly, welcoming. Is there somebody in your life? Is there some people? Is there some groups? Is there something that you need to practice? How do I have open hands? How do I be inviting? What does being welcoming look like? Does it mean inviting them uh, to come over to your place to eat? Does it mean um, inviting them to uh, the cafe? Hey, that's always our good invite for us on Wednesday nights. Hey, come out, have dinner with me. Uh, what does that welcoming invitation look like? Maybe there's a coworker that you've been like, ah, I've kind of given them the cold shoulder. Maybe there's a way that you can be welcoming to that person that you realize, ah, I, I kind of kept them at a distance. But it's on each of us to find what's the way that we live this out. And the way you live it out might be different than the way that person next to you lives it out. But if we all lived out loving our neighbors, the whole world would be different your families, your friendships, your, your workplaces, your neighborhoods, your, our churches would all be reshaped. It's hard work. It's long work. It doesn't just happen once and it's over. It's great to be kind once, but it's about continuing that, fostering it. Being like that aesthetic in the wilderness of day one in the wilderness isn't that hard. Day 40, it's, it's gotten a lot harder. But the beauty of our faith is that Jesus lived this out. He modeled it for us. We see kindness when Jesus is willing to touch a leper who feels like they're, they're unclean, that nobody can be near them. Jesus speaks to people who feel like they are not 
deserving of speech. He welcomes people in. He goes out to eat with people that people are like, hey, you have dinner with those folks? You know what they're up to, right? You know what they're about. Jesus goes out to eat with them, goes and drinks with them. And so if you're in this space and you feel like you have not been loved, you have been neglected. You haven't been treated fairly. You haven't been treated kindly. People have been withholding. You've, you've never experienced generosity. My prayer for you today is just that you can just sit in God's welcomingness. Because even when others shun us, God is always there, always willing to embrace us. And I think as you lean into God, you will lean into who God has for you in your life the people that become your neighbors that might encourage you in your journey. And so friends, may this rule not just be something of the past, but may it inspire us to be people of love, people of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, and generosity. Would you pray with me as we ask God to move in our hearts today? Lord God, we come before you, confessing that we have not always spoke kindly. We have not always been generous. We have not always been fair or truthful. Lord, we admit that we need you. Lord, we ask that you might transform our, our hearts, our hands, our feet, our, our speech, so that we might be more loving, we might be more like you. Lord, we ask that you would continue to help us to get off of the map. Lord, we are people that, that need you so much. Lord, for some of us uh, who have been going through uh, medical treatments, who have gone through uh, travels, who've gone through job changes. Lord, I ask that in the midst of the hecticness of everything, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the chaos, that you might turn our eyes to who you are shaping us to be. Lord, I ask that no matter what the, those around us do or say, that you might make us uh, reflections of your love reflections of your kindness and your goodness. Lord, give us the grace to, uh, to not run away from you whenever we fall short, to not try to hide, but to lean into who you're making us to be. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.